Hi, this is Mish Hancock, and you are listening to Mishmash, a place where I get to talk to the weird, wacky, wonderful people of this world, people I adore and want to know more about. Today, my guest is Bob Summers. He is a local search marketing consultant, reputation marketing consultant, likability expert, humorous speaker, and radio host. And he came all the way from Hawaii to be on this podcast today. Thank you, Bob. Well, thank you, Mish. You know, we're flying them in now. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you started by saying weird, wacky, and wonderful. Which of those three categories would you put me in? Well... Can I tell you at the end of the podcast how the side of it? <laughs> you may. You will save it till the end. You may. Uh, you fall in the weird category. <laughs> Wait, thank God I'm I in the right place. I could categorize all of my podcasts into here's the weird, here's the wacky, and here's the wonderful. That's, That's you know, why not? Of course. It's a thought. Of course. I like that. That's great. So I have known you, I've known you for quite a while mm-hmm. now. Let's let's say 20 years, but it's probably more like five. Okay, you think? No, it's longer than five. It has to be more like seven-ish. Wow, wow. Yeah, because I had started my company... Pretty soon, like I, I, my company's like eight, nine years old, yeah. and so, and that's I right. met you, were, you just a bit right. after all that started. That's right. Yeah, that's right. like when I was actually getting the word out that yeah. I was a for real company. Yeah, yeah, a for real company, <laughs> <laughs> and not just. Well, I still was kind of making it up as yeah. I went along. Yeah. I, that's social media. You just that's what you do. You uh, make it up. I got it. It's just like who knows what the rules are. Hell, it just changed <laughs> it again yesterday. <laughs> I do something different now. And now I have a business card. I'm a real company. Here's my company. That's right. So okay, so. We want to touch on likability expert because yeah. that is very interesting. People need it's to understand what that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you want to start with yeah, that? Yeah, go. What's right, likability so, expert? So here's the thing about likability. There's a lot of misunderstanding about it. People think if if you're going to be likable, you're a people pleaser. Right. And there's nothing further from the truth because people pleasers are not people we generally like. You know what I'm saying? But here's the thing a lot of people don't get. We go through life, grade school, high school, whatever, and there's certain people that we engage with that we just like. They're like the most likable people. We just like those people. We just like them. And those people get this naturally. They just get it. But for the rest of us, we're like, wow, what makes them likable? And a lot of people never really break down what makes somebody likable. Mm. And one of my favorite stories- There's a breakdown? There's a, I got all all 12 components of what makes you likable. All right. I hope your audience has a paper and pencil. Components those. We'll, uh, we'll get there. I'm going to save that till the end of the show. <laughs> okay. There's a lot happening at the end of the show. You know, Mish, I can tell you based on me knowing you, I know you got at least two of them. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> I'll work on the other 10. There you go. So so here's my story, and I love starting with this. Um, oh, Willie Sutton, you remember that name? He was a bank robber in the 40s, 50s, yep, and 60s. Okay. And, you know, he's best known for this quote, and that is, Willie, why do you rob banks? And he said, well, heck, that's where the money is. Makes sense. Makes sense, yes. right? But what a lot of people don't know about Willie is how he grew up. So when he was when he finally got caught, he had robbed hundreds of banks of millions of dollars and they couldn't catch him. So finally they caught him and what was happening is as he was robbing these banks, he was so charming that the people that were supposed to turn him in, let him go. Oh my god. It was bizarre. He's We just really like him. Isn't he great? You're He's gonna awesome get robbed. Guy. You want to be robbed by Willie. <laughs> so when they finally caught him, they said, Willie, look, you're never going to get out of jail ever. So so now that you know that, why don't you just tell us the secret to how you robbed these banks? And here's what he said. He said, when I was a little boy, six, seven, eight years old, he said, my daddy taught me a valuable lesson. He said, you can get a lot further with people if you just carry a smile and a gun. <laughs> <laughs> in, in lieu of just a gun. 
And I thought, that is such great advice. So we go through life, most of us, we get a degree, we go to school, we educate ourselves in a specialty, and that's really the gun. But what really takes you to high levels is the smile. Right. It's the likability. Right. And when people like you, think about this, Mish, when people like you, they'll jump through fiery hoops for you. They want to promote you. They want to tell their friends about you. They want to buy from you. So, you know, about, I don't know, 12 years ago, I was so fascinated with this. I was like, what makes people likable? And we can do all of these things, you know, each of us individually. But right. anyway, that's that's kind of the thing. And I don't think a lot of people think about it. They go, well, you know, I'm just who I am. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. But if you can do certain things that attract other people to you, your life is so much easier. So it's actually a skill set people can learn. It, it, it so is. So if you weren't born... With the skill set of just being one of those really likable people, right. you can take Bob's course, 12 <laughs> Steps to Likeability. Right. Uh, the 12 Step Program. <laughs> there you I go. I like the sound of that. I'm telling you. Know, you. Isn't that something? <laughs> so, you know, I don't really do anything with other than I have a blog that I put up. And every once in a while, I'll write an article on something I've seen where I see somebody that I'm really attracted to and why, or somebody that really turns me off and what happened. Right. And, you know, when I boiled this down, there were about 12 different things things or maybe more, but I'll, may I give you a couple of them? Yes. All right. So one of the, yeah, we'll just start. So one of the big ones is we like people who like us. Well, yeah. Doesn't that make sense? Right. So when you go someplace, if you just like someone, if you go out of your way to just act as though you like someone, first of all, you're going to end up liking them anyway. Yeah. Right. But we want to reciprocate. So we tend to like the people uh, who like us. It's just natural. But if you go into some place and you got a sour attitude, people are like, well, they are not paying attention to me. They don't like me. Why would I want to like them in return? Well, exactly. Right? So can I give you a thought? You certainly I may. talk about um, interaction <clears throat> versus transactions. Okay. And so I, I talk about how I, I tend to have interactions with people, right? right, right? right and right. so instead of just, hey, how are you? Good and nice weather. Okay, bye. You know, it's right. like, you know, you, you I, I love people, so I'm already like, hey, you know, I just like, like, let's talk. I mean, I feel like we already know each other. That's right. And, right. and so I just start talking to you like we've known each other so for years. Your, your, your conversations are a little deeper and a lot more comfortable than maybe they should be. Like, I noticed one eye in your head is set a little <laughs> higher than the other. Tell me about that. <laughs> well, no, I don't think I would say that. Maybe not. But I think yeah. it's more like I really do feel like when I meet people right. that I already know them. Absolutely. And and I and I'm you know usually people are like, oh hi nice it's nice to meet you. And I'm usually going in for the hug. Yeah, you know, right, I'm right, like, right, oh right. why should we shake hands when we we are lovey dovey. Well, you, you know, know this might be a part of that intuition we were talking about earlier. Where intuitively you have a connection that most people don't have right away. You know what I mean? Yeah, that could be. You just but, I saw you coming before you came in the room. I already <laughs> knew about you. <laughs> <laughs> if I didn't hug you, I meant right. something. Well, we, there's, there's, there's a problem there. There's a problem. But doesn't that just make sense? We like people who like us. So right. when we go out of our way just to express, I like you, you know, and sometimes have you ever said to somebody, hey, I really like you? Oh, yeah. yeah of course. And people are afraid to do that. You know, isn't that sad? Actually, and, and, and I think people are uh, also afraid to say, I, I mean, I'm always saying I love you to people. I'm yeah, like, oh, I just yeah, love you. Yeah. I almost end every conversation with love you, you oh, know, to my so friends. Great. And to me, it's so 
easy and it's oh, not, yeah. you know, and, and, and I, and I'm, and I'm sad for people. That it's really hard for them to I get know, there. Cause I'm I like, know. Ooh, if you just like be lovey-dovey all the time, it's so much better. It's, Mish, I have, I have a story. It's about three minutes. All right, long, let's hear it. But I think it's going to be a story that all of us will remember for a long, long time. So back in 1993, now my family, my dad's kind of got an English background. So he really isn't lovey-dovey. Neither is that side of the family. Now the other side is Italian and it's like hugs and you know how that is, <laughs> right. right? So so um, I was in Atlanta at the time. That's where I was working with a friend of mine who's like a, just a few days older than me. And his dad came into the office and they were visiting from Albany, New York. And he stands up and he hugs his dad and he goes, I love you, dad. And his dad said, I love you too, Jeffrey. So, I, you know, my dad loved me more than anything in the world, but we just didn't do that. Got you. So after Jeffrey's dad left, I said, Jeffrey, that was kind of embarrassing. You hugging other men, just goofing around, you know, I mean, I didn't mean anything by it. He goes, Bob, you are an idiot. I go, what do you mean? He goes, do you not hug your dad and tell him you love him? I go, uh, we just don't do that. He goes, you are a fool. He said, pick up that phone right now and call your dad and tell him you love him. He said, I'm not leaving the room till you do. And I was like, holy Ooh. cow, how's my dad going to respond to yeah. this? And Jeffrey's watching. So he's like my best friend. So I said, all right, I'll do it. So I pick up the phone and I have this uneasy conversation with my dad. We talk almost every day. right? But this one was just a little uneasy because I knew what was coming at the end. And I said, I love you, dad. And you know what he did? What? He hung up the phone. He what? didn't know how to respond. He freaked out. So the next day, Jeffrey said, what happened? I said, he hung up the phone. He said, I fully expected that. Fully expected. He said, tomorrow at the same time, I'm going to come over here. I want you to call your dad. So I called my dad again. And now my dad is kind of a little I uneasy. Go, hey, and Bob. It, yeah, I know. That's right. How are things going? At the end of the conversation, I love you, dad. He hangs up again. I'm like, oh my oh, gosh. No. So finally, on the third or fourth time, he finally says to me, we love you too, son. So, oh, so who's we, you know, we, right. according to Mark Twain, it's a pregnant woman or a man <laughs> with a tapeworm, right? That's who we are. So, <laughs> so as time went on, he would say, we love you too. We love you too. We love you too. So finally on Christmas, this is like three months later, uh, we couldn't go into St. Louis for Christmas. And I said, I love you, dad. And he said, I love you too. Oh. And it was like, wow. So for the next month, I got calls from my brothers and my sister, and they were like, what's going on with dad? He's telling everybody he loves him. He's just going crazy telling everybody he loves him. And it was bizarre. So here it is now. It's uh, March 20th, 1994, six o'clock in the morning. I got a phone call from my brother, Steve, which was weird getting a call that early. And I said, what are you calling about? He said, dad died in his sleep. Last oh. And I was like, Oh my God. And I realized the very last thing I said to my dad was, I love you, dad. And the very last thing he said to me was, I love you, son. And I came to the realization, Mitch, that those were the last words he said to almost everybody. Oh my gosh, what yeah. a gift. Isn't that great? That's so an awesome gift. That morning, I had a lot of people to call and I was brokenhearted. And the first person I called at 6.01 in the morning was my friend, Jeffrey. I could barely talk, but if it weren't for him, that would have never happened. Now, you know this in the Summers family. I love you. No matter who you oh, yeah. are, that's, if they, that's just how it is. Yes. And it all happened 20 some odd years ago with a guy that dared me to call my dad and tell him I love him. And it spread from parents to children to grandchildren everywhere. Isn't that something? That's amazing. Telling people you love them and you like them just as easy as I like you. I really enjoy spending time with you. I like you. That that will connect you like nothing else. It's probably one of the strongest things you can do for life. Absolutely. Really. What thank a great you. story. Well, thank you. And thank you for sharing that. We're going to take a quick break. I love it. So we're <laughs> going to end this, this, this first section with... 
I love you. I love you too, Bob. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back with Bob Summers. back with Bob Summers and we're going to start a scotch tape store yeah. that we're going to call Starbucks. No, just we'll think about it. There you go. There you go. All right. All so right, you, so. we, we, and our, so we left with the awesome story about the whole likability and, and what that means. Are there other, what are, what are some other well, things how, you have to have to be likable? Let me enumerate the other 11. All right, let's All right? go. So, so the first one is we like people who like us. That's right. the first one. And I'll go into deep, we can, and, and pick any of the ones you want when we get finished okay. and we'll just, we'll pop on those. The second one is um, we like people who are like us. Correct. The third one is we like people who we feel comfortable and welcome around. Yes. And that's, well, okay. The fourth one is we like people who elevate our mood. The fifth one is we like people who we have frequent contact with. Uh, The next one is we like people who we collaborate with, who we do projects with. The next one is we like people who have a high self-esteem, not arrogant, but they treat themselves and others with respect. Right. The next one is kind of out of our control to some extent, and it's politically incorrect, but we like beautiful people. We tend to be attracted to people who are just beautiful. And there's things you can do to make yourself beautiful. Right. Simple things like how you walk and all kinds of crazy things. The next one is we like people who elevate our mood, who put us in a great place. Uh, we like people, number 10, who, um, uh, who are relevant in our lives. We tend to like those. Uh, the next one is we like the people we help, which is an interesting one. It's not that we like people who help us. A lot of people get that wrong. We like the people we help. And the last one is we like people who can laugh easily at themselves. Ah, you yes. Know? And, you know, you see a lot of these movies where somebody does something, you know, inappropriate with the main character who's like an evil character and everybody goes, oh, and you wait to see how that character responds. And if they yell and scream, we're like, oh, they're not very likable. <laughs> but when they go, oh, it's nothing. You know, I think of um, uh, the Dickens story, right? Where, um, oh, who's the main character in, in A Christmas Carol? A uh, Christmas Carol. Oh, Scrooge? Scrooge. Yeah. You know, where he goes over to, uh, to was it Bob Marley? I don't remember. Uh, no, but... Um, cr- that's it. Yeah. And he's like, how come you didn't show up for work today? It's Christmas day. And, and the whole family's like, oh. and then he's like, I'm just teasing. I'm going to double your pay. And we're going, we, he became a likable person. Right. Exactly. So those are generally the 12 things generally that make people, you know, likable. So one of the ones that I'm really a fan of is we like the people who are like us. Now, it's like mimicking someone, you know, like neuro-linguistic programming, right? Right. There's a whole thing. That if you look at that, that's nothing more than we like people who are like us. Right. They speak the same language. They speak at the same rate. But there's a lot of things you can do. Like, for example, if I were to go on an interview, I would want to find what is it I have in common with somebody. Because when you have common ground, there's just a connection you can't get otherwise. Right. You know, like look at me and you, right? Right. Um, we're sitting in the same room together. Yes. We have my brother as a common friend. Right. That's disturbing. Uh, <laughs> we've both we've both been in jail before for quite oh, some time. Oh gosh, several. So oh I sorry. Didn't mean to bring <laughs> you that up. Supposed to tell I'm that. sorry. Uh. But can you see when you have things in common how you just you just connect with people, yeah, right? Yeah, right. So exactly. Yeah. 
And so, can I tell the story? I'd about love how, to hear your story about about how that you are the connection to me, being the co-founder of TEDx Gateway Arts there, with you, Steve Summers. You, you mean being the elevated and wonderful person that you are? That and that. <laughs> I'd love <laughs> that, to hear you that story. You let me finish my sentence. <laughs> I will. So I think it, <laughs> Please. But, but it was, and it's the, it, that you had Facebook messaged me and that was where it all started. You said, my brother Steve is bringing TEDx to St. Louis and I thought of you and I'm like, that was a good thing to do. Yeah, yeah. and that's something I want to do and you have done nothing but enjoy that whole thing. Oh you? my gosh, it has been yeah. a yeah. blast, but it's so much fun to me. The, the most fun part, and, and we should definitely talk about speaking because you have, you had this amazing speaking career that you did for many years. Are right. you still speaking? Uh, not for pay any longer, but, but, for, but I did. For, for the longest time, that's, right. that was like a big thing that you did. Oh, was, and you yep. know, we even had a discussion about how <clears throat> TEDx talks are so different than what we would consider a regular speaking gig. Right, right, right. They right. have a whole different cadence and a whole different journey and you got to get it done in 18 minutes or less. Right. And But to me, um, that has been such a joy to watch these speakers come in and how many of them, God love them, come in and like, I already know my talk. And, and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, don't. I'm sorry. I, you know, we were like, oh, really? Okay. You know, and yeah. I'm thinking yeah. once your facilitator gets uh, in the same room with right. you, it'll all change. But yeah. it's because of how different it is. Right. It's like you might know your talk, but we have to keep the audience in the room when you're speaking. So we're going to have to do a little work and together. It has to be have that TEDx thing. Absolutely. And there's something yeah. different about it. Yeah. There's yeah. just something different. I mean, there's a whole, I mean, I mean, there is something different yeah. about it. I could go into the, right, <laughs> the, right. the big long, but read the book. <laughs> read the book. <laughs> Chris you know, Anderson wrote a book. Read it. <laughs> <laughs> there's some there's some fabulous TEDx speakers. And you know, professional speakers, people that do what I used to do for a living, they can learn a ton of stuff oh, by yeah. following the TEDx 18-minute program. Because if you can't get your message across in 18 minutes, um, you, you can't do it in an hour. You know, you've got to get the gist exactly. across. Exactly. And I like I like the <clears throat> smaller yeah, I just did a talk Friday now. I had 10 yeah. minutes, you know, and that was really hard to craft wow. an entire story, you know, that a many, mm. many years long story into 10 minutes. But um, but after I did it, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I went through this. Like that was a really wow. cool process. May, may I make a little just air quote thing right here? Do. Because you just said something that anybody that ever wants to be a speaker should take to heart. And it went, came and went so fast. You said, I condensed my story into yes. 10 minutes. Yes. And that's the key to the speakers we love. They have a story to tell. Right. Whether they do it in 10 minutes or an hour or a day, it's a story. Nobody's interested in facts and statistics and blah, 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 blah. How do you put those in a story form? And Mish, that's what you do so well. You're such a great storyteller. And that's why people not only stay in the room, but they're like, hey, what's going on in that room? Because there are any more seats in what's there. The, you know, it's so funny. The other day I was, I was talking about that. I was like, I have a, you know, I don't want to be like, because you hear inspirational, motivational speaker, yeah, and yeah. it automatically puts something in your head. Yeah, yeah. And and for me, it's so not my style. I'm not going to be the person that's up on stage going, "Am I right or am I right? <laughs> Did you hear me? I didn't hear you. Say it, say it, let's say it louder." You know, I mean, you know what I yeah, mean. Like, yeah. I, I'm not going to be that, right? Yeah, yeah. But uh, and and I was like, so I don't want to use that. And my friend said, "Well, you're a storyteller." Right. She goes, when it really comes down, like if you just want to take it at its very essence, you are a storyteller. And so that's how she, I thought that was a brilliant 
thought. That, that is so that, simple, but brilliant. Brilliant. And nobody thinks of that. They're like, I'm going to outline my talk. I'm going to get that is so silly because, you know, when, when we were speaking and, and we had, this is back in the mid and early nineties, we had about three dozen speakers working for us right? and we would send them out on our behalf. And we did over 3,000 speeches a year all oh over the country. Gosh. It was a big deal. Yeah. And so when we hired these speakers, uh, we had over a thousand people that wanted to come work for us because quite frankly, I'm just a great guy to work with. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't going on. I'm, I'm teasing. But we had a really fun, a really fun group. And all of these folks wanted to work with us. So they would say, let me send you my resume and let me send you my brochure. Wasn't interested. At the time we had videotapes. So I said, right. send me your video. And what those speakers didn't know is we played those videos for about 30 seconds and we made a decision within, we really made a decision within 10 seconds. It was that quick. Yeah. And here's the thing. You can you get a feeling about someone the moment they open their mouth. Just that's right. the first feeling, and then what we're looking for is a story. And if you're starting to tell a story, I'm going to watch that video until I hear your story. So some of these people wouldn't do that, and I was like, mm, you know, you're not you're not going to connect with our audience, right? Uh, but when people would start telling a story, some were funny, some weren't. But you know, humor is another big deal, right? Right. You know, yeah. I remember you gotta have humor. You gotta have humor, and the improv humor is. The best by far. <laughs> when I was a kid, I remember taking a public speaking class. There's a fellow named Kurt Kirkpatrick that taught it. And there were about a hundred kids in the room. And he said, do you have any questions? And I said, is humor important? And he stopped. He said, I want everybody to hear my answer to this. He said, humor is important only if you want to get paid. I thought, okay. <laughs> there you I go. I think it's important. Ding, ding, ding. ding. <laughs> you know, so when you tell a story, if you have someone else listening to your story, because you've told your story in your head a million times. Right. When you tell your story to someone who is looking out for your best interest, they can interject tons of humor, a little twist to your story that you've never seen before. You've exactly. never thought. And so if you're somebody that wants to be a speaker, I would encourage you, just like Mitch is saying, be a storyteller first and look for ways to incorporate humor. Some humor. Well, and of course, there needs to be a message in there. <laughs> right. Yeah, and then maybe some thoughts that and maybe people some, might yeah. want to leave with and yeah, use for their own life. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. Something like it's that. It's something like that, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. <laughs> but I'm so glad you said that, Mitch, because really, just like you know, it is about being a storyteller. That's the exactly. whole key, right? Well, we're going to take another break. We'll Already? be back with Bob Summers. Yeah, it goes that fast, man. Okay, we're back with Bob Summers. Like, I need to even ask you questions because we could just talk forever. You're going to stump me? But no. Okay. So not. I'm nervous. So not. We're just taking our conversation. And right now, this is actually from your brother. Oh, Steve my told me goodness. to ask you this. Um, what have you learned from your grandparents? From my grandparents? Yes. Oh, Gosh, I love this. I actually did a speech on that at one time. It's, there you go. Well, and, and I, so it was called, I called it Milepost because I thought about this, about who of all the people in the world truly has my best interest at heart. And every grandparent in the world has their grandchild's best interest at heart with no, no biases, nothing like that. And where it struck me was I was a freshman in high school. I came home, I opened my report card, all A's and B's and one D. 
And my, my dad and my grandma were in the kitchen with me. And my dad looks at my report card. He's like, oh my gosh, a D in Spanish. You cannot <laughs> ride your bike. You're going to spend blah, blah, blah. Did you go, K? Yeah, yeah. I said, I said repitan, por favor. <laughs> not, not hardly. So my dad stomps out of the room, throws a report card down. And it was the typical dad thing. You know, I want you to do better. Right. And my grandma picks up the report card and she looks at me and she goes, would you like a piece of cake, honey? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and Grandma. It's like, yes. But I'm like, and I'm thinking to myself, Dad, is this how, and my dad is like, that is not how that woman treated me when I got a D in Spanish. <laughs> so so I thought about each of my four grandparents and they truly love me. I mean, just truly, they, they wanted what's best. So I learned four different things from each of my four grandparents. My dad's father was an artist and we would sit down together and we, and he was a tinkerer. So I remember sitting down and we took a clock apart, uh, this, this old clock, and we tried to put it back together and we couldn't figure it out. He wasn't an engineer. He was a tinkerer. Gotcha. So it's like, it's not going to go back together. So he just shut, set it up on the shelf. My grandma came in and said, what happened to the clock? And he said, oh, well, you know, we were just playing with it. See what we can do. And she goes, it's not working. He goes, honey, we're going to call that art from now on. <laughs> So, I like it. You know, and I, I'm not typically an artist, but but looking at things in that way has changed me as an adult. You know, think about that. Now, my dad's dad is a um, German. He's a goal setter. You know, he he gets tasks and he does all these tasks. And when I was about 16 years old, he said, um, "I was just he and I." He said, "What do you want to do when you get older?" And I'm like, "I want to work for NASA. I want to work for Disney. I want to do this, but I really don't know." And he took out a piece of paper and a pen. He goes, "Let me just write. You just talk, and I'm just going to make notes for you about these things." So at the end of that time, he gave me. He said, "Now keep this because one day this is going to be important to you." And I didn't miss. I would give anything to have oh, that piece of paper back. Yeah, but, here's a but it's but it stuck with you. It stuck with me because yeah. I'm watching these characteristics of my grandpa that says setting goals are important. Right. Knowing what you want to do so you can accomplish it is important. And he got things done all all day long. So he worked for McDonnell Douglas and actually worked on the Mercury capsules. Oh, cool! And all the Phantom jets. Now my Italian grandma, she was something else. Holy cow! I remember her singing, dancing, throwing spaghetti on the wall. <laughs> a wonderful lady. And she was all about just having fun, just having a great time. And I remember when I, the day I thought about her, I went up to the pool where I normally go and swim laps. How boring is that, right? But there's another pool off to the side with the diving board. And there were like eight, nine, 10 year olds just jumping off the diving board. So I'm like, I'm going to go jump off the diving board with these guys. So, and of course I got, had sit in time out with all of my new friends and I'm like, <laughs> this is really fun, you know? <laughs> so with my grandma, it was about, you know, everything you do can be fun yeah, if you make it so. Exactly. So would she do inappropriate things at inappropriate times and have a great time? Of course, that was my grandma. Absolutely. You know? Why not? So, why not? <laughs> <laughs> and then lastly was my grandma uh, Summers, my dad's mom. Now, you know, as we go through life, there are certain people we meet, you and I, that are just soulmates, right? Right. And we often hope it's the person we marry. And my wife and I are wonderful friends, close as we can be, and I love her to death. But I've always felt like my grandma was my soulmate. Really? It's really interesting. Oh, cool. So when she was dying, you know, we all came in and she was with her children and her other nephews. But the moment I walked in the door, she looked at me and would not take her eyes off me. She reached Aww. out for my hand and, and I could see it was hurting her kids' feelings, you know, but it didn't matter to her. And, and I realized it wasn't just me that felt that way. And the thing I learned from my grandma is this whole thing on likability and love. You know, there is 
You can say more with your eyes. Oh, yeah. Than you can say with a million words. Yeah, So I agree. My brother had obviously asked a pretty big question, but I would encourage all of you guys that are listening to to really look at how your grandparents saw you because I promise you, they saw you with nothing but love. Exactly. And, you know, they... They know who you are and where you're going. Well, and they're also at an age where they get it. Like they watch their kids do a bunch of stupid stuff and then you're doing a stupid thing. They're like, yeah, look how you turned out. Or, or, you know? yeah, that's right. Or, <laughs> it's okay. And their response is always, would you like a piece of cake? Honey? Would you like a piece of cake? Even when that's I went to jail. That's an awesome response. You, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have some cake, honey. Yeah. Um, well, okay. So then this this goes into, you talked about NASA and Disney. Yeah. All right. And so I just want to go there because we had talked about this in the beginning. Mm-hmm. It wasn't one of my original questions, but I think we need to go there. You ended up having interviews right. at both of those places. Yes, yes. And so, was there like did either of them ask you a really bizarre question or something? You so, thought really. So here's how it turned out. You know, back in 1979-80, I went to Rolla, so an engineer, and everybody was hiring engineers. It was really rare you got turned down for a job. And as it turns out, Mish, there is no way I should have ever worked as an engineer at Disney. I would have killed somebody. <laughs> Okay, thank goodness. And, and I'm not I'm not a uh, government guy. So working for NASA would have been a nightmare for me. It's right. not who I am, right? Yep. But at the time, I thought I really wanted to work. Now, keep in mind, I had a lot of other job interviews where they offered me a job, but neither of these companies offered me a job. So with Disney, I thought it'd be so fun to work at Disney. Had a wonderful interview. And uh, a week later, because usually a week would go by and then they would send you a letter, either right. an acceptance or rejection. So when I opened up the letter from Disney, I was like, this is so cool. And in the very top right, the girl, that I, the lady I'd interview with, she drew a picture of Mickey Mouse with a sad face. Oh, oh you're kidding me! <laughs> kidding. And I Who thought, didn't get oh, the job? this can't be good. <laughs> oh my gosh! And you know, thank goodness because I wouldn't have been a good employee for Disney, not as an engineer. It wouldn't work. Now NASA, I thought, oh, how cool! Because you know, when we grew up, right? When I did anyway. Oh yeah. Going to the moon. I oh, remember yeah. all of that. Oh stuff. yeah. So NASA was the bomb, and so I went to engineering school, Mish. So I would never have to write. I was, I, I, I didn't want to write. I was a horrible writer. So in engineering school, there are no words in your books. They're all math problems. Right. And I loved it because I was good at math and I did not want to write. Had a nice interview with NASA and we're walking out. The interview's over. I'm thinking, I've got this job. And as we're parting ways, uh, the fellow I was with and and myself, I said, hey, tell me something. Um, Do you think if I go to work for NASA, I would have to ever write a report? Do you think I could get by without ever having to write a report? And he said, well, there is a job like that at NASA. And I said, what is it? He said, well, the only way you're going to get that job is if they let you replace the monkey. And I thought, oh, Oh, (laughs) that doesn't sound like a very fun job. I don't think I want that one. (laughs) Then, of course, a week later, I get a letter from NASA with a sad picture of Mickey. (laughs) A sad monkey face. (laughs) A sad monkey face. You don't get my job. (laughs) No, it's over. But isn't it interesting how things turn out the best? So that was actually one of my questions, is you get Mm -hmm. this engineering degree, but you've you did you ever use it, or did uh, it did it set you up for what you ended up doing? Because you're more marketing and yeah, well, and you know that's one of the other things. I know we're almost out of time, but one of the things I'd like for our listeners to think about, you know, we we go. I went to engineering school for the wrong reasons. I was good at math, right? I, I didn't want to create and design things. Right. I, I wanted to go back and fix that clock my grandpa took apart, you know, right. ten years before. But this is the thing: if we go into a profession, there is something to be said for doing what you do so. Well 
well, you're the authority because people will come from miles around to get you if you're the best at what you do. But you know, we always hear about being well-rounded. Go to college, take well-rounded. And the truth of the matter is you well, you're well, you responsible for being well-rounded. Right. You know? And you look at people like Edison that, that reached into all kinds of different industries to bring those things into what he did. So being an, uh, you know, an engineer and then a professional speaker and then a marketing guy and a likability guy, that is what makes life fun. I could not imagine doing one thing my whole life. Oh, yeah, no. No. Me because either. You become There's so... There's just too many interesting things to learn about and try and figure out. Well, yeah. look at you, if I may. How did you start and how did you get to where you are? Well, it's funny because I always, I tell my daughter, I should have never gone to college and learned about marketing because I already knew marketing. That's like right. it was innate within yeah. me. I yeah. wish... I would have mm. gone to learn how to run a business because right. I've always been an entrepreneur at heart, but I don't know how to run a business. And that, and I'm learning. Like, that's part of the learning process now. You start a business, and at one point you go, I better learn how to run this damn thing because <laughs> right, <laughs> right. I don't know what I'm doing right now. Exactly. Here you go get, like, a business... Cons- <laughs> I have a business counselor that helps me. Well, they're, they're and, right, right. you know, so he teaches me what and helps me look at the things I need to be looking at to grow the business. But um, I do think that... Go, go to college to get the skill set that you feel you are going to need that profession. may not come naturally to right. you. That's a good point. You know, because that's the thing you need to learn. Right. Some things we just know. You know, it's just part of our being. I mean, I've always kind of known marketing. I was like the kid that was like obsessed with the different types of advertising that were going on and making fun of them. Like, why did they do that? That was dumb. Did, did you take credit cards from the kids who were buying lemonade from you? Is yes. that what you did? <laughs> yes. Actually, I went around and I would go, you're a lemon stand. No one's going to come here. We need to brand this thing. <laughs> you need a whole yeah, different looking you, name. You need to put it next to the scotch tape store down the street. <laughs> Let's talk about what this should look like. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bob, uh, this has been awesome. I'm so glad that you got you were in town well, thank to, you, to be able Thanks to do this me. because we've talked about it forever, but now we got to do it. So and that's I love awesome. how you flew me in here. That is so kind of you. Yeah, well, you know, we're just a business is great, and but, so just I'm flying somebody from Russia next week. And <laughs> this big budget podcast, I love it. It's great. Well, thank you, sir. Thanks, I Mish. do love you. I love you too. Awesome. And for everybody out there, you have been listening to Mishmash. Go to iTunes and subscribe. And yeah, we really do love you. Have a good one.